You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church. It is uh, a joy to be with you this morning. I'm coming to you uh, this morning from my uh, house up here in Sunnybrae. Um, and uh, it's a bit of a strange series of events that took place. I was down in Kelowna yesterday with the worship team, and what a joy to see your new uh, office space, and uh, my heart was filled with a lot of uh, joy as I was able to worship um, with the worship team as they were um, uh, taping for uh, Sunday morning, and and then I got up to preach, and... uh, uh, we just had a wonderful time, and then I got a call this morning from Pastor Brett saying, ah, Steve, something didn't work with the sound. So this is second best, and a couple of thoughts that went through my mind. First one was, um, isn't it great that our salvation doesn't depend on technology and how well we maneuver that? Because if that were the case, I would be so done. Um, our salvation is because of what Jesus did on the cross, and so I'm really thankful to the Lord for that. The other thought that crossed my mind was maybe the sermon that I preached, I need to hear more than once. And um, so I'm taking a cue from the Holy Spirit that maybe this is more for me than for anybody else. And uh, so um, it is a joy to be able to, to, to share with you what God's laid on, on my heart. And I want to share a passage uh, that God has used <clears throat> in my life to reorient my heart this past year. Um, I want to talk about our call as followers of Jesus to live godly lives in a godless culture. Uh, There are lots of clear calls to godly living in the Bible. And uh, we know that we live in a godless culture. And so what does that look like for us as followers of Jesus? And I want to talk about that. There's a text that the Lord impressed on my heart um, earlier this, this, or last year actually. And um, so I want to share some thoughts from that. Uh, I grew up in Germany. My mom and dad were missionaries there. I am known as what, uh, what some might refer to as a missionary kid. I think they call them third culture kids now. <clears throat> and, um, and anyway, I, I lived there for 17 years. And uh, what a joy, what a privilege to grow up in the southwest part of Germany, uh, right on the, on the border of Switzerland and France. Our house was literally a five-minute walk from the border into Switzerland. And so we would cross over often. And um, being a a Canadian and uh, being with other missionary kids or third culture kids in that part of Germany, we would often, walking down the street or or, um, at the bus stop, hear German, because we would speak English, we would hear Germans refer to us as Americans. They say, ah, das sind Americaner. And of course, we knew German uh, fluently and uh, without accent. And so when they would refer to us as, uh, as Americans, um, we would respond in perfect German, Nein, wir sind nicht von USA, wir sind Kanadier, or we're Canadian. And, um, and they would be stunned or surprised. And, and even back in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, being an American wasn't really that favorable or, or looked on to be so favorable. And so we'd pull that Canadian card out all the time and use that. Uh, I remember one time we actually did cross into Switzerland, some of my friends and and I and and we uh, we went uh, we were in a in a town square and and it was uh, there was a guy in the crowd that I knew was from the states uh, the way he dressed his haircut the kind of shoes he wore and and I think we were we would have been able to be distinguished as well um, you know the, the, we wore Levi's and we wore Converse and that just wasn't something that Germans would typically wear they 
might wear um, you know socks with their sandals or something like that. But we we were we we dress American or Canadian and North American and and so I'm we're in this in this town center and I see this guy and I go up to him, um, pretty bold I suppose for a teenager and I said, hey man, where are you from? And he kind of got this puzzled look and probably was a bit weirded out at it all and and. Um, why would somebody with, uh, you know, North American English be addressing me in Switzerland? And his response was, I think, something like, well, I'm from New Jersey. And he turned around and walked away. Uh, but he was, it was so easy to spot him. It was just uh, like a mile away. I could tell that this guy was not from Switzerland or from Germany. Uh, and though I lived in Germany for 17 years, and though my mom uh, is German or was German, uh, I carried a Canadian passport and my loyalty and my allegiance was to Canada through and through. The Bible is crystal clear, um, Hope Bible Church, that we as followers of Jesus also have a different citizenship. Our allegiance, our, our loyalties, our devotion are different than that uh, of the world and, and the, the allegiances that people of this world um, pay tribute to. Our loyalty and allegiance is to Jesus and to our home in heaven. Listen to some of these descriptors from the Bible. Um, we read that, that God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So there's this, there's this transfer of kingship or kingdom, going from a, one sort of kingdom or dominion to another kingdom or another dominion, namely the kingdom of his beloved son. And if you know Jesus this morning, then, then your loyalty, your allegiance is not to this world anymore, this dominion of darkness. We also read that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to, uh, to be like his glorious body. And so we're looking for Jesus one day where we're going to experience the fullness of our citizenship, it says here, which is in heaven. And then Peter says this about uh, those of us who know Jesus, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there's that trans that's transfer from the kingdom of darkness again to the kingdom of light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, brothers, sisters, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct, conduct amongst the Gentiles or the unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So when people see you and me as followers of Jesus, who are aliens and sojourners and foreigners on this earth, when they look at us, what they should see is our good deeds so that they might glorify God. That's what Peter says here. And so I want to remind you, Hope Bible Church, you're sojourners. We are exiles together. We are on our way to a heavenly home. And as a foreigner in this world, we should stand out in a crowd. Uh, when people look at us, when they observe us, they should see something different than, than what they might see in somebody else that doesn't know Jesus. But they should see it in a really good way. They should see our good deeds. So, so strange and so peculiar as they would observe us. Like, not sure why you do the things you do. I'm not sure why you react the way you do. 
and our living and our life should be so compelling and intriguing to them. You know, as I've watched um, how uh, we have all maneuvered through these COVID-19 days and we all feel different things. And I think that that's why the text I want to go to here in a minute is so appropriate because I have all kinds of feelings about it as well. And, and I've had to really wrestle with some of these things. Um, my heart is somewhat saddened and it breaks at how I have sometimes observed Christians stand out, but not in a good way. You know, the obnoxious or the horrible tourist. Now, we're not tourists in this world, we're, but we're also, this is also not our home. We're, we're sojourners. We're, we're aliens. Our he- citizenship is in heaven, as I've already established from the Word of God. But, but, but when we stand out, we shouldn't stand out as the bad tourist. I was talking to a friend of mine up in um, North Battleford just this past week. He's a pastor there, and he was sharing some of the struggles that he's having as a pastor, trying to navigate through these days as well. And he was talking to his MLA, I think, or an MP. I'm not exactly sure which one it was, but a government official who knows Jesus. And my friend was talking to him and, and trying to maneuver what, what is our, what's our church's response through all this. And this politician said to my pastor friend, you know, the most unkind, belligerent, abrasive people who have complained about the restrictions that are being imposed are Christians. And my heart just kind of broke at that because... Because we shouldn't be known as that. We shouldn't be known uh, uh, with, that kind of a, with that kind of a reputation. Well, what, as we turn to our text now, what I'd like you to keep in mind is this motif, this backdrop of our citizenship, not in this earth. And, and with that, I'm going to invite you to turn to Titus chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first uh, nine verses. And then what I'd like to do is I'd like to make two main observations uh, with some subpoints, and then try to wrap it all up with some application for us today. So, this is the Word of God, Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We read this. Remind them, this is Paul writing uh, Titus, who is in Crete, and I'll give a little bit more background in a minute, but, but he's writing and he's saying, remind the believers there in Crete to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable, For people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. This is the word of God. May he add a blessing to the reading of his word, and would he now guide our thinking as we think about some of the implications of living godly lives in a godless context. So Paul is writing to Titus, who uh, he had left in Crete 
uh, Titus was a ministry partner with Paul. And um, he left Titus there in order to help establish the church. Now, Crete was notorious uh, of having a reputation, and it wasn't a good reputation. It was a rather a bad reputation. And it was also known as an unsafe place. One of their own poets, and Paul quotes this poet in uh, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says this about the Cretans. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Wow, what a description of a, a people group. But that's what they were known as. They're liars and they're evil, they're beasts, they're lazy gluttons. And so there's this church that's been established. And Paul says, Titus, you need to, you need to stay there and you need to help establish that. And, and the Cretan culture was pressing in on the church. Some syncretism was beginning to creep into the church. Syncretism is simply the mixing of some of the pagan beliefs uh, that were present in that day with biblical beliefs or beliefs about Jesus. And, and what they were doing is they were combining truths of, of, that they had learned about Jesus with some of the teachings and myths, of the, particularly of the Greek god Zeus, who, uh, who was said to have been born on Crete. So they were mingling this. And then there were the ever-present Judaizers that were also teaching false things and filtering into the church. And so, so Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, I need you to, to, uh, to establish the church. And he writes this letter to encourage the church to remember that Jesus really does make a difference in our lives and in our living. And as we're living in a godless culture, we need to walk with Jesus. We need to walk in godliness. And, and when we do, Jesus becomes really compelling to those who are watching. And so, so in this little short letter that Paul writes to Titus, who he then is going to, he's going to pass these words on to the church. Uh, Paul gives some instruction about the church and about home and about family. And he's basically saying we live under a different value system now. It, it, we, 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 remember, we've been transfer, uh, transferred from the, the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light. So there's a, there's a different, uh, uh, totally different rule that's now dictating our lives. And then we get into chapter 3, and Paul gives some instruction on how we should live godly lives in our communities and in our culture, and particularly in this godless culture known as Crete. And I would suggest that we, without having to look around too much, would admit that we live in a godless culture as well, right here in BC, in the Okanagan, up here in the Shuswap. We live in a godless culture. It's rampant everywhere. And so there's two main observations, and the first one is, is clear, but, but the first one here in chapter 3 actually comes out of chapter 2. And we know that Bible or, or chapter divisions aren't inspired per se. They're, they're not. Actually, not per se at all. They're not inspired. Uh, they help us reference different things. So Paul's thought uh, just carries on from chapter 2. So it would be good for us to read the context in verse 11, if you're following along in your Bibles, look what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, here it is, ungodliness. Uh, Titus, the church there in Crete, they're living in an ungodly uh, context, culture, and, and we renounce ungodliness as followers of Jesus and worldly passions and that we should live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. There's that godliness, that living godly lives in a godless context that I'm getting our title sermon from. Um, in this present age, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. There's something that's coming yet that we're waiting for. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, like in Crete. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And so it's out of that context that we then come into chapter 3 and Paul clearly outlines some of the ways that our godly living in a godless culture is going to, uh, is going to play itself out. So, so observation number one is we are called to live godly lives in a godless culture. The word godliness simply means, um, or, or godly, simply has this idea of things that look like God or godlike, things that mark us as different. It's almost like the imprint or the stamp, God's imprint on us. It's going to, he's going to make a difference in our lives. And and so the question is, what does this look like? And Paul lays out what this godly, godliness looks like, what, what our life should look like. And the first thing that we see here in verse 1 is that godly living is being submissive. We, we can't miss this, and it's so exceedingly clear. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And back in, in when Paul is writing to Titus, um, you know, the government, it, there was not a democracy back then. Um, it was just different, and it wasn't good for Christians. There was a lot of opposition towards Christianity. And, and this word submission here, uh, or be submissive, implies in the context of this verse that, that submission actually uh, uh, moves on to obedience. That's what Paul says. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And so there's this submission which then would lead to obedience. Do you notice the condition that's laid out here that Paul lays out? There isn't one. There's no condition here. It says we should submit to the authorities and we should be obedient to them. Now, now maybe just a, a little side word that in as much as those who are in authority, rulers, do not tell us to disobey God, we need to be submissive, right? There is that sub-clause that I would suggest, though not here, is implied throughout the scriptures that when rulers or authorities tell us to disobey this, God's word or what he said, then God's word and his will trumps anything that what any human um, ruler or authority might tell us to do. But inasmuch as it doesn't uh, tell us specifically or, or um, explicitly that we should disobey what God says, what we're supposed to do here is we're supposed to submit and obey. John MacArthur, uh, in his commentary on this uh, particular text, says this, the Roman government under which the early church lived not only was thoroughly pagan and morally debauched, but also was despotic, oppressive, unjust, and brutal. Nevertheless, Paul makes clear that the Christian's obligation to respect and obey government does not rest on its being democratic or just, uh, or just but solely on its being the God-ordained means by which human society is regulated. Therefore, he goes on to say, the person who resists and opposes human government resists and opposes God. You know, I think that the best citizens, though we aren't actual citizens of this world, I am a Canadian citizen and so are you, or maybe a different country, but you are a citizen. It's not where our allegiance is. Our allegiance is in our heavenly citizenship. But, but I think in our countries, the, the best citizens should be Christians, not the worst. You should be the best. And one of the ways that we demonstrate godliness in a godless context is that we would live submissive lives to those who are in authority and who have rule over us. That's the first um, um, indicator or mark. The second mark is that godly living is having a guarded tongue. Look at it in verse 2. It says, Paul says, 
to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling. And then skip down to verse 9 to kind of finish the, the thought of our tongue and the things that we say. Avoid, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and, and worthless. Don't speak evil of anyone, it says here. Don't quarrel. Avoid foolish controversies, dissensions, and quarrels. I will confess to you that I've not done this well. There have been many times when I have spoken evil about people and maybe even posted things or said things in public that, that the Spirit of God has convicted me through this text, through what he said. It's just clear that we shouldn't speak evil of anyone and how easy it is for us to get sucked into this. It saddens me when I read Christian postings on Facebook or Instagram where there are disparaging comments about our politicians. Christian, it ought not to be that way. We're told what we should do. We should pray for them. Timothy, 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 is really clear about that, that, that what we should be doing is praying. And here it's clear what we should be doing is we should be submissive and obedient and not saying anything evil about anyone, even when we don't agree with them or disapprove of them. Why? Paul says here, because this is unprofitable and worthless. I don't think it's your desire, follower of Jesus, that you would live an unprofitable and worthless life. I don't want to do that. I don't want to stand before God one day and say, my life has been unprofitable and worthless because I haven't guarded my tongue. I've been speaking evil. I've not avoided quarreling. I've been involved in controversies and genealogies and dissensions. And oh, that's so earthly. That's so, it's so much on the horizontal level, how easy it is for us to get sucked into it. And and church, I'm just pleading with you, don't get sucked into the horizontal stuff of this life. Speak evil of no one. Then the third mark of living a godly life or this call to godliness is that we should be ready for every good work. See it in verse 1? To be ready for every good work. And then in, in verse 2, Paul kind of describes what that looks like. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And verse 8, that all believers may be careful to, to devote themselves to good works. So, so we're called to be gentle. Sometimes I'm not so gentle in my conversation or the things I say or the way I'm, I'm portrayed. And, and here the call is gentleness. And it reminds me of one of the fruits of the Spirit. Is it not gentleness? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. And so I'm called to be gentle. And, and it says that I should show perfect courtesy. Ah, that's hard to show perfect courtesy. When somebody's not being very courteous, courteous to me or whatever it might be, and I'm thinking particularly when I'm driving on the road or, or when a politician does say something, when a, an authority or a ruler says something that's really not courteous, uh, courteous at all, my response is also to be uncourteous. And here it says that we're supposed to show perfect courtesy towards people and to be devoted to good works because this is excellent and profitable. So we're called to godliness in a godless context or godly living. So Hope Bible Church, how are we doing? How are we doing with that? Is this what your life looks like? When people observe you, do they see you as a foreigner, but in a good way? Something peculiar and strange? It's like you're compelling. The way you live, the way you talk is compelling to me. Is your life marked by these godlike things? Is Jesus dictating your life? Here's a second observation that I'd like to point out. It's that the gospel helps us live godly lives in a godless culture. It's the gospel 
the realities, the truths of the gospel that will be the underpinnings or the motive or the help that we need to live the kind of lives that God is calling us to. Do you remember when, you're, when you were a kid and, and your dad or your mom told you that you needed to do something and you asked why and they would respond with, because I said so? Well, that happened often in my home and, and um, two thoughts on that. First, if, if you're a parent, just admit that you do that sometimes when your kid says, hey, wh- why? You tell them to do something and, and you say, because I said so. Um, and if you're not a parent, uh, believe you me, chalk it up. You're going to do it one day. Uh, the second thought is, there's likely, there was likely a really good reason for my dad to command or request something for me. But because of my six-year-old or ten-year-old snooty attitude, when my dad answered the way he did, he was sending a message. Stephen, I don't answer to you. I don't have to give you any reason why. <laughs> That's fair. Well, in this text, after God calls us to godly living and tells us um, what this should look like, submissive and guarded tongue and and also the the idea of ready for good works and gentle and courteous to all people, he actually tells us why. He gives us the reason, right, in this text, why. To be clear, God owes us zero explanation, right? When, When God commands us or demands something of us, we should obey. So he could just stop right here and say, this is what it should be. And we should say, yes, we're going to do that. Why? Because he's the king of the universe. He's our creator. He's the Lord of all. And he can, he can do as he pleases without giving any reason. But here, God actually does leave us with the reason why we uh, are supposed to live this way. And I, I find it so wonderful to know that when God calls me as, a, as his child, as his follower, to do something, he also gives me everything I need to be able to do that. I just find that so wonderful. And, and there's a tiny little word in this text that I need you to see. Um, little words matter in the Bible. Uh, every word is God-breathed. And so we don't want to ignore little words. Um, we, we want to be mindful of them. And, and some of these little words are called conjunctions. Conjunctions are, are simply connecting or joining words. They hold ideas and thoughts together in a sentence. And we need to be on the lookout for those because they help make a point and give a reason to a statement or command uh, or make an argument. And so here it is in verse 3, after we've been told to, uh, to live godly lives in a godless context, and this is what it's going to look like, we read this, verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish. So maybe let me be- begin in verse 1 again so that you feel the whole drift of what's being said here. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For, because, here's why, listen up, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days and and malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul is basically saying, listen, Remember who you were. And that's, that's the first reminder that the gospel brings to the, to the front of our mind here. As we remember the reality of the gospel, the gospel reminds us of who we used to be, who we were. And he says, remember this. And don't be like this. You used to be this way. You used to not be very courteous. You didn't you used to be gentle. You were hostile, it says here. And, and haters and being hated and malicious and... And, and he says, that's, that's the way you used to be, but now you're different. 
You, your, your kingship, your, your uh, identity has shifted from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So remember that. Have you recognized your own sinfulness? It's clear here. We need to, when we think about the gospel, it starts with, man, I'm a sinner. I've offended a holy and righteous God. And, and, and Paul is reminding them, remember what you used to be, church in Crete. And don't live that way anymore. Have you really wrestled with the utter, utterly and desperately wicked heart that you have and your sin before a holy and righteous God? You know, I, one of my fears is, and being here at the, at the Bible college, one of the concerns I sometimes have specifically is for second, third, fourth generation Christians who, the, and I'm one of those, growing up thinking that I'm maybe not as bad as the next guy. That, that actually I've got a little bit of a, a head start on something because I know the right things to say. I've, I, I've been taught from a child what things to think or, or what the Bible says. And so, so in that sense, I do have a head start because I've been taught this book. But what I forget is that I'm cut from the same mold of cloth as the worst of sinner. And, and, and I'm capable of the worst of sins. And so we as followers of Jesus should never forget who we used to be without him desperate sinners. And so Paul uh, brings the gospel into light here and says, remember that's the way you used to be? Now don't be that way anymore. Live godly lives. That's, that's, that, that's your old life. That's gone now. There's a new life. The gospel also will remind you of what God has done. Not only does the gospel remind you of who you used to be, but the gospel reminds you of what God has done. Do you see it there? In, starting in verse 4, I love this. I love that. Another little word, but. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Wow, what a wonderful, beautiful truth of the gospel. This is God's work. He's the one that initiates it. He's the one that performs it. He's the one that saves us. And it's good. And it's loving. It's kindness from God. And, and then there's like five, um, five kind of um, action words that God does for us. He saves us, it says in verse 5. He shows mercy towards us, giving us, uh, not giving us what we rightly deserve in verse 5. And then also in verse 5, he regenerates us and he renews us, which means that he gives us a new heart. Uh, that's regeneration, means to be born again. And, and, and with a new heart come new affections. That's why we're not going to live this way anymore. We're going to live godly lives because we have new heart and new affections. And then in verse 7, it says he justifies us by his grace, undeserved favor. He pours out his, uh, his love towards us and declares us perfectly righteous. That's what justification means. It's that legal term of, of, of acquittal, but not just acquittal. The, the, the idea of justification is also that, that God in that moment when he saves us, gives us Christ's perfection and his righteousness. It's the theological term is imputation. And so, so God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we become, we, we, we are declared righteous. He justifies us. And then in verse 7, he makes us heirs that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a, what a beautiful thought that there's a future inheritance. And that's, that's, that's really thinking about going home one day, right? It's where our citizenship is and we're going to go there one day and experience the full inheritance. And, and this word hope is not uh, a, a nebulous kind of term. This is absolute certainty. It's a guarantee. It's sealed by a promise. And the promise is the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
which takes me to the third observation of the gospel here that Paul reminds us of in verse 6. We read, and maybe I'll I'll just pick it up in in verse 5 so that there's a flow again. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, not our own doing, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration, new life and renewal. Here it is. Of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. You know, the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ, something happened to you. You became a dwelling place of God. It's an unbelievable thought that that God would choose to save you, to regenerate you, to justify you, to adopt you into his family, but then to take residence in your life by his Holy Spirit. We're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it says here that, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out to us richly, abundantly, exceedingly, excessively. You know, what I find so encouraging in this text is that as I'm called to godliness in this godless context or culture, and, and you are too, and, and we're supposed to um, submit and we're supposed to guard our tongue and our, our, our speech and we're supposed to be ready for every good work and be courteous and gentle. You know, in, in and of myself, that's just opposite of what I probably would do if I'm just leaning on the arm of the flesh. I, I want to lash out. I, I don't want to submit. I, I don't want to be gentle when people are being jerks, right? I think you understand that. But, but the Holy Spirit gives us everything we need to live that kind of a life. There's this powerful verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, where Paul, once again, writing to the church in Rome, talks about the Spirit. And it says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, lives in you, makes his abode in you. He who raised Christ from the dead, this Holy Spirit, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That's just good news for me. You know, I, the, the idea of a mortal body is a dying body. We're dying. We're, this flesh is decaying. And there's an eternal hope one day that we're looking for. That's, I, I can hardly wait and I'm going to experience that my mortal body will take on immortality. It's gonna, the corruptible will take on incorruption, the Bible says. Get a new body, no more pain, and, and all the sickness stuff, it's gone. But I think when Paul is talking here about giving life to our mortal bodies, it's also talking about right now. And, and here's the contrast. The Spirit of God had enough power to raise Jesus from the dead. That's a lot of power. And can I just suggest to you that the Holy Spirit who lives in you is going to give you the power that you need to live a godly life which might take less power than raising Jesus from the dead. I don't know how power is measured or what the equation is for that. But if this spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, do you think he's got the ability and the power to give you everything you need to live a godly life? I'll bet my bottom dollar he can, he, he will. And I've experienced it. And so not only does the gospel remind us of who we were and what God has done and what he is doing right now in our lives by his spirit, But the gospel also reminds us that we have a beautiful and a wonderful future that lies ahead. Verse 7, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He's secured and given us an eternal hope. Our hope is not in this world. And maybe this is is, going to become really practical now. I want to kind of start circling the airport and land the plane here shortly. um, You know, Paul had already a couple of times talked about eternity in verse in chapter 1 and verse 2 it says in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began so so this idea of eternity and our heavenly home is God's idea and it says in chapter 1 that of, of Titus here that that God promised this before the ages even began so God's plan all along was heaven it's what it says here 
And it says here that God never lies. So this idea of eternity and eternal hope and fixing our eyes on that is really, really important. And we already read it in chapter 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then once again, right here in verse 7, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this is a really, really, <clears throat> excuse me, a really, really important um, thing that Paul wants to get across, that he's referencing the reality of eternity. And, and I think this is going to help us a little bit as we move into some application now. You know, as I am called, as you are called in this text, to live godly lives, live out godliness in a godless context, and, and we, we have everything we need through the gospel, remembering who we used to be, so I'm not going to be that way anymore. Remembering what God has done, he's saved us, and he's poured out mercy, and he's justified us, and he's regenerated us, and he's renewed us, and and, and he's given us an eternal hope. And, and um, that all is going to lead me to have a different mindset. We as Christians need to be so cautious and careful not to get caught up in the trivial, temporal, trifling affairs of this life. We need to shift our focus from the temporary to the permanent and the eternal. The, 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 the lives that we should be living should be lived with eternity in mind. Paul says in Colossians that we should set our minds and our, and our affections on things above. Our lives should not be consumed with the issues and things on the horizontal level. Our focus must be on the eternal and our citizenship that's in heaven. And brother, sister, I just know the, the fight that that is in my own life, how easy it is for me to start getting caught in the weeds of the temporal things in this life. Oh, how easy it is for me to, to get so consumed with regulations and rules about COVID, right? I'm going to talk about COVID here in a, in a moment and, and get so wrapped up with that and my whole mind and heart gets so consumed that I, I start losing sleep and, and it's not the way we should be living as Christians. We should be living with eternity and eternal perspective and godliness that that doesn't care so much about the things in this world. Understand, I'm not suggesting that we live life with our head in the sand like an ostrich. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that we ignore what's happening and that we're just the frog that's getting heated up in a, in a bowl of warm water that's going to soon come to a boiling point. That's not what I'm suggesting. We need to be mindful and understand the trends and all that. So that's, that's not what I'm suggesting. But can I plead with you, brothers and sisters, not to... Have your heart so wrapped up in your affections in the things of this world? Because we're not living for this world. Living for, with a temporal focus makes you and me unprofitable, it says, and worthless. We get caught in the weeds. We set our affections on things on this earth. We're not very profitable for this world. But if we live with an eternal focus, it says that we're going to, uh, and, and allow uh, our hearts to go Godward, it says that then we are going to be doing things that are excellent and profitable for all people. And when people start looking at us from that perspective, we're, 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 we're not tourists, but we're foreigners here, and they say, well, what makes you tick? We're going to be able to point others to something much greater, something much more superior, namely Jesus and the gospel and the eternal hope and heavenly citizenship that we have, not how law should change or what we should do to pursue something on an earthly level. 
And if we get this wrong, if we get our focus on the earth, we're going to go down the path that Paul warns Titus of here in foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels. So let's have an eternal backdrop always in sight. Uh, Let us set our eyes on our heavenly citizenship. Let our affections long for a better day that's coming one day so that we might be excellent and profitable and have a profound impact for those around us. And so here we are in our COVID reality. I'm sitting in my house here preaching to you. I long for the day to be back with you in the theater or wherever you're going to meet when this is all done and, and shake hands and um, talk and do this face-to-face. I long for that day. Believe me, I do. I, I long for things to get back to normal. But, but somehow we're trying to re- navigate through this. And, and can I just remind you of the gospel as you navigate? Remember who you used to be. And don't, don't, don't respond to these situations in your flesh. Remember what God's done for you. Remember that right now the Holy Spirit lives in you is going to give you everything you need to live godly lives. And remember that you're living for another world. Your citizenship is in heaven. We're strangers, aliens, sojourners. We're just traveling through here. So let's not get bogged down in the mire and the weeds of the stuff that everybody else is getting consumed of, uh, in. And, and I've been tempted. I've been tempted to get irritated and angry and, and um, my rights are being infringed on. And, and I just want to remind you, follower of Jesus, that, that we really need to remember that we only have one right and that's to be damned in hell, right? I mean, because of our sinfulness. If, ever, if, you, just, if you just concentrate everything down to that, synthesize it down to that one thing, we, I have no rights. And my rights were taken to the cross. And at the foot of the cross, I've surrendered everything to Jesus. And God's mercy and grace was poured out on me and on you. And my earthly rights were trumped, replaced by receiving an eternal inheritance. So that we're willing to let earthly rights go, to die to them, to give them up. Because we have a better day coming and, and the Spirit of God's going to help us. And so, so if, you're, if you're tempted to get angry, like that's probably more of my propensity, just remember that it's not about this age anyway. Maybe you're listening though today and you're tempted to be fearful and filled with angst and there are the reality of COVID. Let, let's not minimize this. My wife's cousin, Philip, just passed away last week down in Manaus, Brazil, 48 years old, no prior health issues, died with the Brazil strain of COVID, died, left his wife and 12 kids, they had five of their own and adopted seven Brazilian kids. And there, there's Christy now in Brazil alone. And so, so all of a sudden fear starts to creep in. And can I remind you, if you're tempted to fear during these COVID days, remember that, that when you trusted Jesus to save you, you surrender to God's absolute control and his sovereignty. He's the king of your life. He's got this for you. And can I also remind you as well to keep an eternal perspective, an eternal focus that that you're living for more than 70 or 80 or 90 years here or 48 years like was my or my wife's cousin's lot. We have an eternal hope and it's been secured for us through the gospel, through the work of Jesus on the cross. And because of that, though we know that death will come our way, though we know that death itself may well be a valley and it's, it's our enemy and we don't like it, we don't fear death. We understand that our physical death leads to eternity with Jesus, a real, one day physically reality of eternity. So meditate on these truths, Hope Bible Church. Rehearse the glorious realities every day of the gospel. Remember that you've been called to godliness in a godless context. And, And as you live this way, 
And as the truths of the gospel act as an equilibrium and a balance for you to, to keep things uh, with an eternal focus in mind, uh, and, you're, and you're living um, in submission as much as uh, we can without disobeying the word, and, and our speech is guarded, and, and we're, we're being gentle in our good works and courteous to those around us, your life and my life will start looking very distinctively different. And people are going to look and they're going to ask about the hope that you have. And then you're going to have a chance to share with them Jesus Christ, your great treasure. And by God's grace, you're going to become profitable for all people. So Lord, thank you for these moments. Thank you that you've reminded my own heart again of my need to be living in surrender to you to be striving for a godly life in a godless context, not on my own strength, but by the strength that you provide by your spirit. And oh God, would you help my own heart, my own mind, and the hearts of those at Hope Bible Church to have an eternal focus and perspective and that we would live lives that would be profitable in our culture and in our context, in our neighborhoods at work, wherever it might be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.